Do you work in employment services? The Wayfinders is a podcast where we help you help people. Hosted by Bounce Australia founder, Maria Smith. Each month, we chat with people who have had their own wayfinding experience and get their valuable employment insights, advice, and tips. Welcome to the Wayfinders podcast. Potential lives here. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. Today, I've actually got a really exciting guest for everyone, Simon Cox, who's the Managing Director of Sonac Maryborough. And Simon's going to be sharing with us some of his insights into uh, the best strategies for helping get your clients into work and understanding some employer insights that I think are really important uh, for any of us to understand in the industry. So Simon, welcome to the Wayfinders podcast. Thank you, Maria. Yeah. Happy to be here. Great. It's good to have you. And um, I suppose um, where I'd love to start is a little bit around your own employment journey in terms yes. of where you are today and and maybe some of the, the pieces of um you know, the learnings that have really been insightful into how you are now in the role you're in. All right, Maria. Well, um, I'm a generalist, I guess, and that's always been my background, even though you leave university and you, you, you focus on a, on, a, on a career or a, a degree. Um, I've lucky enough to work for um, organisations that have allowed me to grow and, and, and have supported me in growth and allowed me to choose my niche to develop my career. And I guess um, that's the way I approach um, the business itself. Um, For people that I work with, at the end of the day, it's like, why do you come to work? What do you want to be? What do you want to get out of work? Um, And you can be a generalist or you can be a specialist, but at the end of the day, it's got to turn you on and Mm. uh, make you get out of bed. So my career has been quite diverse from... uh, chartered accounting to financial accounting managers to marketing to export um, to sales um, and now into general management managing director. Mm, Yeah well I just love something you said there around that you know um, who are you going to be and that what gets you out of bed and gets you going and I know for our listeners uh, a lot of the the listeners work in the world of helping people into work and sometimes that piece around you know what gets them out of bed gets missed because it's it's a little bit about like let's just get them a job do you think about that when you're sort of looking back on the history of when you've hired people what's important to you when someone comes in for a job interview um i think they need to be able to elaborate on what they want to do why they want to work here and um it 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 needs to be honest and there's no real right answer to a certain extent as long as it's authentic. Mm. Um, you know, I think the businesses, depending on the role, but business, businesses can cope with people that just want to work nine to five and do nothing more and go home. And businesses need to be able to cope with other people, though, the people that uh, aspire to be something. And um, if you can adjust um, and handle all the type of people in there and reward the people that uh, are developable or mm. that meet their KPIs and, and add value to the business, then um, you'll form that that uh, working group that really has that, that balance. Mm. Um, you know, it's like a good football team, I suppose. You can't all kick the goals, but you've all got to be part of the team and... You know, it's not necessarily the weakest link that drags it down, but you do you do want that cohesiveness, and that comes about getting people, getting people that really want to be there, even if it's only 
nine to five and don't ring me mm. at 501. Yep. Okay, so that's a really good point because I think sometimes um, we have listeners here that are also uh, what we like to call job finders, um, but those people that are actually looking for employment. And I think there's something about the pressure of, I've got to be aligned to the organisational values. I've got to be living and breathing the culture of this place. And for some people, that isn't necessarily their thing. You know, they actually may not necessarily work to live, sorry, live to work, but they actually work to live. So just speak to me a little bit about that, because I think it's an important distinction for people to understand that I may not be all in, but I'm certainly in. And how do you know that distinction in an interview? How do you pick that up? Yeah, well, I can put that in my case to a certain um, certain degree. Um, I had a, a long career with Mars, um, Mars Inc. And they're a quirky business. They're a family business. Uh, they live and breathe by what they call the five principles. Um, a lot of acronyms, um, uh, open offices, uh, white coats. And as a bloke that came out of chartered accounting and walking into that, I was lured by, I suppose, um, working for a global national, uh, a good salary. And I'm thinking, and after the interview, I'm thinking to myself, oh, these guys are a bit weird. <laughs> um, and I, I, I suppose you've got to be able to, 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 to accept, accept things to a certain extent, you know, like, okay, this is not perfect to me, but holistically it's right. Mm. And, um, and as an employment seeker at that stage, you know, I guess I was in two minds about whether this was the right move, but you've also got to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and um, and have a crack. And but it's important to understand the employer and their flexibility and their ability to to, to handle differences or or, or ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I joined Mars with some trepidation, um, but and and two or three years in, I went to them and said, "Look, I actually don't like the job I'm doing." Um, but they knew I was a good performer and I was motivated, so they managed to find something else for me within the organisation that kept me growing. Now, not all organisations have that scope. Mm. Um, and uh, I suppose it's about just aligning the expectations of the the hirer and the hiree. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So if we're thinking about the consultants out there that are helping prepare a job seeker, what would you think is the best advice that that consultant could give to a client or a job finder um, in terms of coming in for an interview for a job? Coming in for an interview, if you've got the interview, then that's pretty valuable. I mean, uh, you can, you, you know, you might get 70 or 80 applications or more for, for a job. Um, a resume is really a marketing document and and somehow the poor uh, recruitment consultant has got to sort, those, sort mm. through those to come up with what needs to be the best fit for them to secure the the, the applicant and get their commission. Mm. Um, so, but when the the person comes in, um, for me, it's about as I said, being authentic and 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 being relaxed and and being able to talk about ambitions and mm. their business. Um, you know, I think everyone has to have a reason to get excited about coming to work mm. to 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 participate and, mm. and deliver to their maximum. Um, so they need to they need to find out about the company, and you talked about values of the company and all that. Like, I don't think I could work for a company that I didn't respect their values. Mm, yeah. um, but values, you've got to be careful, I suppose, as a job seeker, whether the values are just written on a website or mm. whether they're actually delivered mm. and, and they walk the walk. And similarly for a, a person doing the hiring um, or sorting out the batch of applicants is about trying to 
know the company and marry that up. Mm. Um, you know, it's no good putting somebody who has the best, who looks the smartest person in the mm. shed, but is is not going to uh, to relate to the to the bloke at the other end or the the lass at the other end, or you know, just just won't be a, a fit. At the mm. end of the day, it needs to be a fit, and a failure for that fit is a failure for everyone in the process, mm. the recruitment consultant, mm. the hirer and yeah. the hiree. Yeah, and absolutely. I think you've um, nailed it there because a lot of the breakdown tends to be in the matching piece and understanding that who is a match for uh, the employer. So who who will be that fit and making that fit work. So what is... Um, what are your non-negotiables in an interview when you're sitting with someone? What's your absolute, if this happens, there's no way known that person's getting any further? Um, well, I think you've got, to, you've got to be engaging. Mm. You've got to have some passion. Yeah. You've got to say why you want the job. Mm. Um, uh, what if I'm nervous? Look, I think then it's up to the, um, to the interviewer to, to make that person relax. Yep. I, one of the most nervous people uh, I ever had or hired for, for Mars and that particular lass went on to to have a stellar career at Mars, mm. and she stumbled, fumbled. She had she was all red, mm. um, but she was genuine. And you know, I don't know where I coined the phrase. I stole the phrase "skill versus will." Mm. Probably most of the applicants will have skill on paper, but who have got the will and who have got the passion to actually deliver that? Skill is like potential. It's it doesn't mean anything unless you can deliver it, mm. and. From my Mars experience, where you, people are happy to be developed through different roles, it's really about their will to do that. Mm. Yes, they've got some skill, but you've got to have the aptitude to want to do something different mm. if that's what you want and the company wants you to do. So my, my immediate thing is, is show some passion, so show some interest, mm. um, have, form a relationship, strike up a dialogue, have a bit of humour, be human. Mm. Uh, that might be very hard for, for for introverts or nervous people, but even a nervous person can can get across their passion and interest. And um, you know, some people say, "Oh, that person was a tryhard." Well, I don't know about that necessarily. Hopefully, the interviewer can can sort out whether the person is just saying the things you want to hear, mm. or whether it's really um, an interest in your company. Yeah. What if you've got somebody that comes in and you mentioned earlier they're introverted? And, um, you know, they're really struggling to articulate or answer a question. What is it, what do you think about that? So where do you go as somebody who's interviewing someone? Are you thinking, oh, this person isn't going to be a fit? Or are you thinking, you know, I'm not going to see that as the barrier and I want to look further? Oh, I'd keep probing to, if they've managed, if the, if the recruitment consultant has uh, thought it, fit to mm-hmm. put this person up then my job is to find out why mm. um and um you know just probe probe for or just make the situation relaxing enough for mm. the people to you know get up and have a glass of water talk about the weather whatever yeah i mean don't kill somebody on 15 minutes give yeah. them give them 45 minutes have a good chat at yeah. the end of the day you're working for with these people ultimately somebody in your business is working mm. this is their only shot and if they're good enough to get through perhaps a, a couple of resume sorts and a phone interview and a personal interview with a recruit, recruitment consultant mm. and you value that job that that recruitment consultant does then respect that mm. as well yeah i think in some ways when we think about um you know uh, hiring people and the expectation. A lot of times, 
uh, job seekers are perhaps you know, so nervous to put a resume in or to put their, their foot in the door. How do you view somebody who's cold calling and, and knocks on the door to say, hey, I, I want to put my, my hand up for this? Oh, you just got to admire that really at the end yeah. of the day. I mean, there may not be a role, it might be the wrong time, um, but you never know. And um, I'm all about having a crack and trying something because mm. you certainly won't get a job if you don't ask. Yeah. And it's not. I don't think it's a negative. As a as a sales guy, you you got to keep bashing on doors to mm. make a sale. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a great a little great little bit of advice there. I think when oftentimes we look at the world and think, oh, you know, do I put myself out there? But it's the things that we get the most scared of that are usually the most rewarding, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, in my career, I've I've had. Um, spaces where you don't have a role but you've got to go out and network for a role and you find that a little bit um, confronting to a certain extent but once you're there and you can talk about business and, and all that and if, if you're lucky enough to get somebody who's going to give you the time for you to sell yourself to them then take that opportunity mm. that might be the hardest thing because if you're knocking on a door or trying to book an appointment for a person who doesn't necessarily have a job um then there'll be a lot of no, thanks very much. But the one that does open up could be gold. Hmm. So let's switch gears a little bit and just talk around the idea of, you know, culture and, um, you know, building culture, creating culture in a workplace. And um, and I'm just curious about your take on that and how important you view that. Um, I, I, I think it's pretty much everything. It's sort of like the skill versus will thing. Um the the team uh, the team is the business, um, and they deliver. You know, not one person can can uh, control everything, or manage every standard, or, or 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 modify the business. They can set the tone, and the tone's obviously set from the top, but it's actually probably set from the bottom. If you can if you can get that culture right, and there's a whole lot of people that respect the vision of the business and where the what the business is signed onto, then then you've got all these supporters at ground level keeping your business um, in ship shape or on the right track. Mm. So obviously setting culture, creating culture is is probably the hardest thing to to do in a business. Um, And, uh, you know, you look back at a company like Mars, they're they're the world's biggest private company for a reason. They're quirky, but they have a culture. Mm. You either like it or you don't like it. Doesn't matter if you don't like it. You you generally leave. Mm. Um, But if you like it, you're there for a long time because you sign on. And everyone knows why they're at business, why they're, why they're doing that business, yep. why they come to work. Um, and, I, and you get a certain type of people there that you, you know, that are, that are very um, good to work with, I mm. guess. Yeah. So just in that, how do you know when you've got a good culture in your workplace? Well, I'd like to think that it's, it's about that um, flexibility, you know, chipping in. Um, always being able to help your teammate, um, uh, just just general friendliness and, and amiable, but able uh, amiableness, if mm. you like. Um, you know, you can come into the to the reception, and you've got a friendly person on the front office or whatever, um, all the way through from from those touch points that an outside person will see um, is all positive, and uh, um, you know, everyone has pride in the business. Mm. Uh, everyone everyone looks after everyone everyone looks after the brand the brand of the business is represented in the in the people um and so culture can can be anything but it needs to um you know it needs to be reflective of of 
you know, current community standards. You can't have a, a an old-fashioned culture anymore. Mm. Poor culture um, destroys brands and businesses. Mm. Um, a progressive culture um, usually goes with the flow and is usually successful. So mm. it, it, I have a sort of an open-door policy. I'd like anyone to talk to me. I don't think... Um, the best ideas come from management, and as I've told you, Maria, I don't mm. like the word management. Mm. I mean, what what's management? Mm. It it we work for a business. The business in this case is Sonic. Mm. Um, it's not management running the business. It's the people that work for Sonic running mm. the business. And if everyone's subscribed onto that, then anyone on the floor can tell me, Simon, you've forgot your PPE or whatever, mm. and uh, or come to me with a good idea mm. and debate an idea with me. Yeah, which is fantastic. And I think that part, that builds trust, doesn't it, at the end yeah. of the day? Yeah, and mm. trust is obviously, you know, key to, to culture mm. because as soon as you break that um, that bond of trust, then everything goes out the door. Mm. And that's the same with anything when you're selling product or whatever. That's just not an organisational thing. That's what your brand represents and quality or whatever you're selling um, needs to deliver on what you're saying it delivers. Mm. And as soon as you break that, um, that's the weakening of your business. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about Sonac because people are probably wondering what does Sonac do? And I think it's a really incredible story and it's also really fascinating. And um, you're based here in central Victoria uh, in Maryborough and um, it's this little factory. It's not that little anymore, uh, but there's some really interesting stuff happening. So do you want to speak to that? Yeah, we're, we're a unique business. It's hardly romantic to say that uh, it's not chocolate it's not chocolate so um, for those who don't know Sonic uh, is probably the only business in Australia that um, buys blood uh, animal blood from the slaughterhouses um, and turns it into animal protein feed protein um, what we call spray spray dried hemoglobin or spray dried plasma they go into animal feeds uh, for non-ruminants and they can also go into pet food for colorants and binding properties. Uh, as I said, not attractive. Um, big tankers bring in uh, 20,000 litres of blood uh, and we basically turn it into powdered milk. And <laughs> um, that goes out, but it's it, it's, a, it's a unique business uh, and not for everybody in terms of that kind of handling of the product. But Sonic's part of Darling and uh, Darling is a stock exchange listed company in America handling in the um, basically any waste from the from the from the animal industry, and can turn it into everything from uh, uh, fertilizer to medical applications and even collagen and gelatin. Wow! So it's a massive business, and I'm very proud to be working in the in the recycling business to a certain extent because you can't afford to waste valuable uh, resources. Um, so we're we're based in Maryborough, as Maria said. Um, not a we've got uh, about 25 staff about 75 percent of those are in production and generally low skilled stuff to be honest um but the country environment we can get those people they love working for us uh, and we need to value them mm, yeah and i certainly think um you know you've been in there and and that that's that's the experience i think you know the culture's really um being created in a in a really great way um, so I, I have a really interesting question. So at Mars, when you were there, were you able to take chocolate home? Like, could you have like grab a bit of chocolate, and that was part of the the thing? Yeah, well, it's not good if you uh, love chocolate because uh, Mars is an open office, was or it is an open office environment where 
Um, if you have a meeting, you go off to a meeting room, which might have a, you know, a round table, a round table in it with ten chairs, and on there is a box of chocolates. Yeah. And every office has probably three or four places where you can get chocolate or, um, you know, any kind of sweet if you like. And and at the end of the month, all the all the chocolate that, that didn't make spec, you know, might have had a dent in it or the the, the packaging was at the end of the run and it was a bit smudged or whatever, then they were sort of uh, the take-home packs for the, for, the, for the staff. Now, I don't know if that still happens, but it always did happen and it's, I suppose, one of the side benefits of working for Mars. Yeah. Did you uh, get sick of chocolate or you were... No, you, I'm, a, I'm no. a sugar. I'm you, a sugar You love man. the chocolate. Yeah. So, so do you take home dry blood? From Sonat. Unfortunately, don't have any no. <laughs> reason to take home dried dried blood, so we don't uh, lose a lot of uh, um, uh, yield, if you like, from theft. Um, employee uh, handouts, no, mm. unfortunately, yeah, or fortunately, yeah, yeah, for for yeah. So, uh, just a couple more questions around the idea of where um, the world that um, the Wayfinders Network is in is really helping employment service providers prepare. Um, you know, job seekers that may have actually been, they could be 10 years unemployed and, um, or maybe the last time they've worked and then something's happened in their life. So, you know, there could be multiple barriers to, to getting a job and it could be, you know, they don't have a car, they don't have a license maybe, or it could be they've had some real personal barriers and, and potentially, potentially had a mental health breakdown. So, in the context of somebody who's been on that journey and for somebody who's helping that person overcome those barriers, what is it that you would say when you think about looking at, you know, growing um, your your staffing and, and, you know, as Sonet grows, when you think about that, where do you see the importance of somebody who's had that journey as an employer? What is it that you need when you're dealing with an employment service provider who may be coming to you to say, hey, listen, this person hasn't worked in 10 years, they've had some barriers and challenges, you know, would you be open to giving them a go? Is that something you'd be willing to do, do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, um, I suppose, the appropriateness of, of the role and, yeah. the, and, and the job um, and what they're capable of and, and, and a fit, I suppose, yeah. in terms of job and you know, I think employers need to do more in this space. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's actually good for your brand and it's actually good um, for the staff as well to understand that, you know, they, they are helping mm. in that in instance. And, you know, everyone deserves um, a chance to, um, to, to operate it, you know, uh, or to achieve what they want to achieve in life. And uh, it'd be nice to, to be able to, um, to help in that situation. Mm. And, uh, um, I suppose it's about for somebody who's representing those kind of people mm. is to, is to come along, you know, and 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 suss us out mm. in terms of what what capability potential have we got to to participate and in, in in the lives of somebody who might be looking for a job and and how we would go about it um, with any kind of relationship with a with a recruitment consultant or, or something like that. I think it is incumbent on the recruitment consultant to really know our business mm. and. Um, and know what we want and what we expect and find find where they can do the sell to us. At the end mm. of the day, they're salesmen yep. and we are potential customers. So bring us to the table mm. and, and show us what you've got to sell and then we can say, well, we can buy that, but it needs to be on these conditions and we want to buy that so we'll be a bit flexible. Mm. 
Mm. But um, how you get that message across, I think, for me anyway, I haven't been approached in any of those situations. And, you know, manufacturing industry, yes, there's some low, lower, you know, there are might be mm. some appropriate jobs. But until you're presented with the opportunity, you probably don't think about it as much. Mm, that's right. I think for me that takeaway there is, you know, um, bring us to the table and have that conversation. I remember years ago I was at a, a site in Melbourne and the recruit, the recruiter there who was just incredibly engaging and active, it was right near Christmas and she had just called an employer that she'd established st- such a strong rapport with. She'd called him and said, look, I know your business, I know where you're, what you're about to go into and I know you need about 10 people. I can help you with that. And because she'd established that rapport, he said, great, send her my way. So 10 job vacancies opened up because she had had that relationship to know what his Mm. needs were. Mm. And I I think in so many ways, the opportunity to understand an employer and understand the needs. um, And I think you hit the nail at at the end of the day, the salesperson is the recruiter and it's selling the the human being, isn't it? That yeah. that's the product to the say opportunity. the opportunity. It might opportunity. not be full time. It mm. could be part time, mm. and it might be just project related or yeah. or short term for for an overflow situation or a, or, or something like that. Mm. And um, uh, make yourself known about what you can offer, mm. um, and it, it'll be a choice, an mm. option um, yeah. that we can have that we perhaps haven't had before. Mm. Yep. And I, th- I think the part, so for the listeners, I think this is a really, really great distinction of understanding that sometimes it's that, that for them as that, uh, cr- the recruiter to call you and cold call and establish a rapport and relationship. What's your view? Like if you're getting that cold call, are you okay with that cold call from a recruiter to say, Hey, can I come down and chat with you about our business? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what's out there until people have, mm. a, have a go, yeah. uh, have a chat. And, um, you know, I may not be in a position to, but uh, to A, here at that time, mm. but I'm happy to make a time in, you know, a month's time or mm. whatever our commitments are. And I'm also happy to understand what your service is. And, you know, a sales oper- uh, as a salesman, a former salesman, your sales job is much easier if you've, bought, if you've formed that relationship and whether you have to ring or knock on the door with opportunities six times, seven times or whatever, if you think the relationship has potential and there's some sincerity there, keep keep, um, pushing away at it. If if you ring me up and you feel as though um, you're getting fobbed off, well, you know, have a couple more goes and then drop off if it's still Mm. fobbed off. But but in theory, I think most people would, would like to know of opportunities or options in their business to add some value to something. Uh, whether that's your brand in the in the community, whether that's um, an efficiency or something you haven't thought of, um, whether you've got a problem and you need to call in somebody at, for you know an overflow situation, yeah, I mean, um, put it out there. Um, it's always awful when I've got an issue at the moment where I'm looking for something, and I Google uh, something in in Maryborough, which is where I am, and they don't actually have one of these providers. Mm. Now I don't particularly want to go to Bendigo or Ballarat. Mm. Um, so I've found myself that there isn't one, but I, that was a that was a, a need response thing. Mm. But if if somebody had a knock on the door and said, actually, I'm looking for something here, which is a, a sort of mm. situation we had, um, and I had formed a relationship, I'd go back and pick up the phone and say, can you help me? Yeah, straight away you'd make that call. Mm. So that's probably a, pe- a piece for people to realise that that what's the the relationship to develop with employers and build that level of trust so that you're the fo- you're the phone call that that employer's making when they need something even if they can't make the 
make the request for you, they may know someone. And yeah, it's, it's, and I think that's, you know, people often, uh, and I have this, um, I suppose, idea that you should have always be helping your contacts in the business. And if you can't supply something, but you can recommend the person down the road, uh, you might actually be sending them over there and potentially losing a sale, but your integrity's been restored or protected. Mm, You've actually been a help. Yep. And mm. if that person uh, was smart, they will still come back to you because they know that you've had their in- their best intentions at heart. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's worth a lot. And mm. I think a recruitment consultant uh, should be, it's a relationship, it, it should be a journey. It's, you know, you should be able to form uh, a continual relationship with a trusted advisor to help you stock your, your team with the best mm. calibre people you can or the most committed calibre mm. people you can. Yep, awesome. I love the um, the will over skill. Uh, Simon, is there anything else you want to add? Because um, this has been great. Oh, look, um, for me, it's uh, we. I've been in businesses that have had a lot of turnover and many people say, um, you know, turnover is not a bad thing and it isn't a bad thing. At the end of the day, uh, I worked uh, many years for uh, a great Australian company called Elders and a lot of juniors come in and start with Elders and leave and they actually say, look, I'm a good stocky, I work with elders, I'm a good agronomist, I work with elders, and that gets you a ticket to somewhere else. And I work with KPMG and an accountant, and mm. that gets you a, a job anywhere because you've worked with, with good, um, uh, good, good employees, you've had a good, good uh, base. And I don't think companies should be uh, concerned about that kind of turnover because you're letting people go well-educated, uh, being proud of where they've worked from and selling your brand brand they're on if they've had a bad experience they come back so some turnover can be good in terms of getting rid of underperformers mm. some can be good because it's actually selling your brand in the network in the world to a certain extent but also turnover is bad because um you know for me it's about looking at what we've got um especially in a small town like Maryborough where i don't have a lot of real opportunities or options and i'm not particularly the most romantic business in Maryborough. <laughs> Um, it's about looking after the guys that you've got, the guys, the girls you've got, um, and helping them be engaged. I don't want turnover in that instance. Mm. And when I get somebody coming from a recruiting company to say, here's Joe Blow, I've got to get that fit right mm. because the cost of the learning curve, the cost of the investment of my business, not only the recruiter fee, is a cost that if it doesn't last I don't get my return on investment, it fails. It's, it's a lost opportunity. It's a failure for the recruiter. It's a failure for me. It's a failure, failure for the appointee. And um, people need to understand that that cost, in a business that I won't name that I work for, had a high turnover. Mm. They didn't understand the cost of that turnover. And when you turn up as a salesman to a business and they say, oh, you're the third bloke this year, mm. what that actually suggests about your business. Mm. Um, and on the flip side, for it's very important for a, 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 a recruitment consultant to, to understand that the cost of putting somebody in that is inappropriate fit does have to be worn by everyone. Um, I might get a free replacement if a recruitment consultant pitches in somebody we hire and it fails, mm. but that doesn't cover the cost of the d- dislocation mm. um, and, and, and the... And the inefficiencies of what we've done mm. and it's a stain on the brand of if you like if the recruiter to, to a certain extent mm. because they haven't been able to find the right person for the company's fit mm. so as a as a recruiting consultant 
it's better off to say, I don't have somebody for you right now, Simon, mm. rather than say, try this bloke. We suck this bloke up mm. or this person up thinking this is the right thing. It doesn't work out for for either of us and we're all out of pocket and yep. we're all annoyed. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point because oftentimes if if I am coming to you as a recruiter with somebody who maybe has been um, 10 years unemployed and I disclose to you where they've been and, and their journey... But if I promise you I'm going to help them on that journey and I'm going to give them give them some post-placement support while they're there with you and let's get them through this, um, you know, versus sort of having that honest conversation with you versus just saying, oh, here's someone and leave them, you know, a set and forget. And the reality is it's not a fit. It's also the impact to that individual to sort of have their hopes up to think, oh, I, I've got this opportunity, but it hasn't worked out because it's not the right job for them or it's, you know, not the right fit. It's all expectation mm. management all mm. the way along the chain and any anyone who has their expectations or pride or whatever wounded, mm. then that ultimately is a, is, a, is a dent in your brand. And as they say, the, the a customer with a complaint is, is, is worse than a customer who's good, unfortunately. Mm. But, you know, bad news travels fast yes. and, and people yeah. are quite happy to, to let you know about bad things. Mm. Uh, and I don't think people can afford that to happen. Mm. So it's better to, to um, always be up front um, for both parties and even the, even the hiring company saying, look, sorry, you're not the right fit or thanks, Mr Recruiter, that was good, but we haven't found the right person yet and that shouldn't be taken as a failure. The failure is when we've accepted something that we don't want and, it's, and it works or mm. we, we've we been sold something that we think will work but it, it hasn't been right. Yep, awesome. Okay, well, for those um, listening, I've got um, for our local providers that I know, um, it's an opportunity to certainly reach out to Simon and maybe check in with him and see the opportunity to establish a rapport. Um, it sounds like no one's made that cold call yet. So it'll be interesting to see who's listening to this that are local and reach out to you and mention this podcast. <laughs> All righty then. So, um, Simon, thank you so much for being here. And um, I I really appreciate your insight. And I think this is what's important for our industry to understand that the world of an employer and um, and just to understand your expectations, but also your commitment to the culture piece and, you know, hiring people, giving them a go. Um, and I love that someone can show up in an interview and you, you're setting them at ease and, and getting them nice and relaxed. I think yeah, that's find great. Yeah, out the good points. You mm. know, we, we talk about strength profiling in your mm. business what are the good things mm. um if you some sometimes people it's hard to improve um something you're not capable of so you maximize the assets and mm. that can override any kind of sort of shortcoming or whatever yep. put people in the right place where they su- can succeed and um yeah that's that's the story I suppose. that's that's a, a great little takeaway so thank you so much for um being here with us today and uh to the wayfinders listening thanks for today um and checking in if you have any questions send us uh any of your questions for simon and um we can definitely get them over to him and uh share this out to everyone again let uh, your networks know about the podcast and subscribe and uh, jump on the website with our webinars and all of our free resources so thanks again and um, remember we're here to help you uh, help others find their way thanks for listening to today's wayfinder podcast helping you help others find their way